And that jarring cacophony tells you that yet again, for the, my goodness, what date is this? It's the, oh, it's the 8th of November already. And yes, that jarring cacophony tells you it's yet another day of the Power of Three podcast, bringing you an episode about a Doctor Who book every single day until the anniversary, because we thought it was a good idea at the time. I'm Kenny Smith, and joining me today is not my regular co-conspirator. It's not David Steele. It's actually somebody who you may be familiar with if you've been listening to Pieces of Eighth. It's my pal who's down south, and he better introduce himself and say hello for his first appearance here on Power of Three. This is very, very exciting. It's Matt Michael. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Matt Michael. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm very excited to, to break out of Piece of Eight onto Power of Three. Every podcast I do has to have a number in the title. That's that's the rule. But And start with the letter P as well. And start with letter P. So it can be abbreviated to PO number, not PO box. That would just be silly. I was talking to um, a Glaswegian colleague earlier and she said she liked to leave time between meetings for tea and a pee. <laughs> that is so Ouija, as we would say. <laughs> yeah. You know the term Ouija, of course, being sort of a sort of oh, adopted Scott for a wee while. Adopted Ouija, yeah. Although I, I did live in Falkirk, but yeah. I still, when I think of Falkirk, I think of that, uh, I think it's Mr. Don and Mr. George in Absolutely with their insult of get to Falkirk. <laughs> I think of the Karen Dunbar show where she did a mock advert for the Falkirk wheel and the, the tagline was, all the beauty of Falkirk in a wheel. <laughs> it is a wonderful construction, it has to be said. <laughs> been there twice. Um, yes, if you're visiting Scotland listeners, please do visit Falkirk Wheel. Uh, this episode is not sponsored by the Falkirk Tourist Board, we should point out, but it sounds like it is. So I'm delighted you're joining us to have a chat about an Eighth Doctor book because Dave's not read them all, and I thought, well, who do I know that's read all the EDAs? And your name just popped into my head straight away for some reason. Oh, yeah. I've, I read every single one for my sins, and I probably enjoyed most of them. I, I'm more fond of them than the New Adventures, purely because I came quite late to the New Adventures, whereas I was with the Eighth Doctor Adventures from the start, and they're really, that's my kind of era of getting properly into the organised fandom at the time, sort of 98, 99, the Tavern, and all of the writers of the Eighth Doctor Adventures, so they are very close to my heart. Yeah, now just mentioning the Knowing the authors of the Eighth Doctor Adventures, you also, of course, got to write about them for DWM. And do I did. How did that come about? The time. So it, I think essentially it came about because I used to go to the tavern every month and there were a group of, at that point, bright young things, the likes of Eddie Robson, Simon Gurrier, James Curie Smith, Jim Smith, that sort of crowd who were maybe a little bit younger than the people writing for the Eighth Doctor Adventures and who had been writing for the New Adventures. And I think there was just a general desire to, a really nice desire, I think, as well, um, to try and make sure that that sort of younger group were getting opportunities to to write and be creative in the same way that the generation that were writing the Eighth Doctor Adventures or who had written the New Adventures had had opportunities. So genuinely out of the blue um i think in probably 1999 i got a 
an email from Alan Barnes asking if I would like to do a speculative review of Casualties of War for DWM as a potential new books reviewer for DWM. Because I think at the time as well, Alan had taken over as editor. And previously they'd have had a sort of single reviewer doing everything. And I think they wanted to expand the review section, go, go more in depth on the reviews and sort of have a regular reviewer for each strand. So I, I wrote a speculative review for Casualties of War, pinged that in, thought, well, oh, that's a that was a, a nice um, thing to do. And I think within 24 hours, I was asked if I would like to, to become the Eighth Doctor Adventures reviewer. And of course I said yes. And um, I think the first one was that I reviewed for the magazine was Father Time. And then I reviewed all of the subsequent Eighth Doctor Adventures. And then eventually that expanded to Big Finish, TV show, like a whole load of stuff that I was doing um, in in the 2000s. But yeah, all, all thanks to that speculative email. And really the, the only writing that I'd done for that, before that was for fanzines. And we used to do a fanzine called Oh Yes It Is, which was the original Big Finish Beneath Summerfield fanzine. So I worked on that with Eddie Robson and Will Howells and we published. I think we only did about four or five issues in about 1998-99, but I think Will was at the first first recordings with Lisa Barman for Oh No It Isn't and um, interviewed her for the, for the fanzine. Uh, I used to write little bits and bobs and reviews for that. That's just brilliant. But I mean, the thing that I mean, I know that from my point of view as a as a working journalist, that quite often I do to review things that friends had done, and quite often it was difficult to be to give my proper opinion on certain things, and because I didn't want to offend my friends, so it's finding a talk about the things that I do like and put in sort of things that I would say to their face. I think was always the way mm. that I found was the way to do it. So, how did you find that? You have to be. I mean, I, I try never to be like too vicious. I think if you don't like something, there is sometimes a temptation to really go down sort of hard against it, or be, or try to be witty and biting, which can obviously can kind of come across as quite unpleasant um, if you're the person who's put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into a piece of work and no one sets out to create something that's not not necessarily up to scratch. But I also, I think when you are a reviewer, you have to have a level of integrity that will call out if you don't think something's brilliant. Because, you know, people are spending their money on stuff if they can only buy, if they've got a big finish audio they've got an eighth doctor novel they've got past doctor novel they've got other merchandise and they've only got a limited budget and they they want to know what to spend it on i think you have to to be honest and say well in my opinion don't buy this buy the big finish audio this month instead spend spend your money on that because it's a a better story or it's, it's better done so i think you have to kind of have a level of integrity without trying to be without trying to get lost in trying to sound clever and come up with sort of cutting phrases which are fun to do but quite harmful to 
Yes. Who, who work hard. But you know, I, I can remember writing a review of, I think it was The Adventuress of Henrietta Street um, for DWM. And I, I really like The Adventuress of Henrietta Street. I really like the sort of mock history tone. And I think you now read things like Fire and Blood by George Martin, for a very similar approach, kind of mock history. And I really sort of dug that. I, and it, I don't think it got great reviews across the board, but for, for me, I thought it was a sharper piece of work than Interference and, and a better written book than Interference, which I also like. I remember Lawrence Miles saying, mm, you gave me a good review in DWM, thanks for that. I was like, well, I didn't do it to, you know, to please you, because I, I don't... If you're writing things in the in the back of your mind, the thought that the, that the person who wrote it is going to read it and you want mm-hmm. to get their feedback on your review, it can become a little bit incestuous. And the Doctor yeah. Who world at that time, because it wasn't on TV and it was fairly niche, that there was always a sort of... A risk of being a bit back slappy so I, I always try to avoid that and maintain a bit of objectivity and i think the, the other thing that served me well was i never had any desire to actually write doctor who so i could maintain a sort of level of objectivity because i wasn't i wasn't trying to particularly curry favor with you know editors or whatever because you know, I, I'm I'm a happy consumer. I, I don't have any interest in actually creating Doctor Who stories. That's not not really what I'm interested. in. I'm much more interested in the making of the show and the mm-hmm. the sort of technical aspects of it and the production side of it. That if I were ever to write anything, as I have done in my blog, it, it tends to be about the making of the show and about the about the stories themselves rather than writing fiction. Doesn't yeah. I get it. I mean, I know that I remember I was told because I, I wrote I wrote, I wrote a book review early in my career and um and my boss told me says that you're you're being a bit too honest. I've been told that many times in my career, even these days I get told it. They said that this is a great book for reading in the toilet, especially if you run out of loo roll. And um <laughs> It said that never made it into print that last line it was just that it's not the worst book in the world it was became something really mundane with no humor to it yeah. but it was not at all reflective of what i was thinking but still a v i think the most vicious thing that i put in print was it was actually when i reviewed a big finish audio and i think i said something like it was like listening to paint dry um, <laughs> which, which slightly crossed the line on my mm. like being yeah. trying to be too barbed but in my defense it was a particularly bad one one of the few ones so we're going to talk about the book of the still by paul ebbs which was released in may 2002 and was eda number 56. this interview was originally recorded uh, for pieces of eighth but given that um it probably won't be here for like another two or three years but might as well bring it forward because it's quite a good fun one and my i remember it really fondly and is one that made me smile because I just love that whole central concept. But before we discuss it, shall we hear what the back cover blurb of the book has to say? Oh, yes. Brushing off my copy, blowing off the dust. The unnoticed are bound to keep themselves isolated from all history or face a complete collapse from existence. The Book of the Still is a lifeline for stranded time travellers 
write your location, sign your name and be instantly rescued. When the unnoticed learn that within the book someone has revealed both their existence and whereabouts, they are forced into murderous intercession to find it. Fitz knows where it is, but then he's the one who stole it. Carmody, addicted to the energies trapped in frequent time travellers, also knows where it is, but she's the one who's stolen Fitz. Angie, alone on a doomed planet, trying to find evidence of a race that has never had the decency to exist, doesn't know where anybody is. Embroiled in the deadly chase, the Doctor is starting to worry about how many people he can keep alive along the way. Great stuff, man. So, the book is still, is one that I, when I think about it, you know, before looking at it, it's one that I remember enjoying first time around, having a lot of really good lines in it, and I just, I mean, the whole central plot of it, I remember clearly the fact that you've got this book, and as you mentioned there, just when you're doing the reading, send your name and somebody will come and rescue you, think that's a great idea, there's something almost Harry Potter-like about that, you know, with all the, the things that uh, goes on in J.K. Rowling's world. So, uh, yeah, I think that makes for an interesting sort of setup to it all. Um, when you, what's your first thoughts when you think of it before you go back and look at it in depth? I agree. It's got some fantastic ideas in it. I think the opening lines, um, something like subjectivity is the root of all evil. And I think it tries really hard to avoid having sort of straightforward heroes and villains in uh, in the story which i think probably works in its favor now because it's it it's quite sophisticated as a book i think though it's not it's not a it's not what you call a straightforward read i don't think it's very um it's very rooted in um that whole period of eighth doctor adventures and the the eighth doctor adventures interest in paradoxes and that kind of thing yeah, because this one, it's outside the arc of what's going on at that point. It's in that phase of where there's a few standalone books without yeah. being tied into everything else that's happening with Sabbath and the likes. And I think, and that's one of the reasons why I picked this one to talk about. And I think it actually works for that. It was quite nice when you've got that ongoing arc where, while it does reward the reader of every single book, it's also sometimes quite nice just to have a wee break from it, just the way that Russell T will do with his arcs and TV and it's just like there's like there might be a throwaway line or something and for me I think when you're doing a big convoluted storyline sometimes you just need these stories just to to get away from it and do a normal one in inverted commas yeah I, I agree I think I definitely think that works in its favour I think it's not sort of plotted in that arc I think the the thing that it has in common with a lot of books at that point is it's set at a point in the Eighth Doctor continuity where Gallifrey has been destroyed again. The Time Lords have gone and therefore again. time's a lot vulnerable to being altered. There's no Time Lords to police history so therefore other sort of um, organisations have stepped in to to manage time travel and to, to do things like the Book of the Still to rescue time travel. I, th- I think the Doctor says that at one point he doesn't think that the Book of the Still would have existed if the Time Lords were still around. I like the whole concept of Carmody being somebody who feeds off these time energies and uses mm-hmm. that sort of to feed herself. And I think that's a almost like a, like a temporal vampire of some sort. And I quite yes. like that. And the fact that... Um, 
playing upon Fitz's weakness for for women, quite frankly. And um, and I think it's quite nice that you're sort of using that as a plot point rather than just Fitz meets somebody and just like, oh, he's really taken with him. But here it's actually used in a plot advancing. In fact, it's almost central to the whole thing, the way with Fitz's whole storyline in this. And Fitz is kind of, he's kind of, without getting too dark, he's almost like temporally Rohypnold, isn't he, for yes. a chunk of the story, um, which means that he's much more susceptible than normal even though he's not particularly acting out of character but i think there's a nice bit later on where he sort of says this love isn't real whereas my relationship with the doctor is real and there then you've got all of the fits and eighth doctor shippers um breathing a little oh that bromance Romance, yeah. I suppose this would be around the time the term bromance was coming in, wasn't it really? Early 2000s? Yeah, it was um, definitely sort of post-90s. Everyone was a bit more relaxed. Um, and yeah, you, you did have um, much more sort of openness around bromances and things like that in the novels. So yeah. Yeah, that was one of my favourite things that I ever did was say the words or give the words to the late great Trevor Baxter and saying that how Jago and Lightfoot had a bromance and he's like oh what's 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 this word explain it to me explain it to me <laughs> and so I told him and he, and he just sort of he mulled it over you know said you know said it slowly bromance bromance ah brotherly romance and he just sort of and he just clicked and he's like absolutely he says that's exactly what it is it was just and it was wonderful just to hear this incredibly learned man so you know, for me to tell him a new, you know, sort of current word, and just to hear his thought process, and, you, and just to hear it, and bringing it to life, and his mind's like, yes, I like that, I like that. So yeah, it was quite a nice thing to be able to do. I was in this very room actually, where I was sitting over there when I spoke to him. I remember it quite well. So yeah, and of course we get um, a sort of an interesting. I was fair to say, there's not really a, a villainly villain in this. Right. There's no obvious like master or Sabbath or. Yeah. That kind of figure. We've got um, the unnoticed, who are quite well. They're, they're very non-human. They're sort of ones that you'd struggle to imagine how they'd visualise in TV. Really, yeah, they're almost it, kind of Lovecraft, you know, aren't they? They've got that sort of gloopy, yep, tentacly weirdness about them. And I think it's quite a high concept. The reason I kind of say this is very rooted in the Eighth Doctor adventures, sort of love of time travel. So they're, they're all sort of their existence is predicated on paradoxes and they're a little there's a little bit of faction paradox about them that sort of slightly magical voodoo kind of element to them that slightly gloopy nastily organic kind of thing that feels quite Lawrence Miles or, or even Dave Stone I'm not sure either either one of those would like to be compared to the other but that kind of slightly icky organic nastiness um that they weave into things like alien bodies or sky pirates yeah because I, I pictured them sort of as being like the megara but with tentacles flopping in and out of existence appearing yeah. and disappearing and sort of coalescing and separating and yeah just sort of moving around they've got constantly like, and they've got like the, they're dripping goo and things like that. yeah not yeah. my favorite kind of thing they're not like straightforward monsters like you, you might get in the the old TV series that they have a real motivation and from their perspective and I guess 
that com- comes back to the kind of opening gambit of subjectivity is the root of all evil from from their subjective viewpoint everything that they do is justified to preserve their existence and protect them the things that they do other people other characters might think is evil but for them it's a matter of self-preservation and and survival so you're right they're not they're not traditional villains in the sort of master evil sense the other thing that i always think about this book and you know having you know gone over it again it's the number of ideas that are in it that are just it is just brimming full of ideas and witty one-liners and it almost feels like there's two potentially could be two or three books in here with a number of ideas that mm-hmm. Paul's managed to cram in and it's I mean it's so well written the dialogue sparkles and crackles some really good jokes in there and I think that's at times it, all, it almost becomes too much for one book that sounds like a good movie tagline so some of the ideas are brilliant I love the, the sort of indestructible paper and you can basically like make like escape pods out of paper and things like that the doctor doing origami to to sail into a sun is like an astonishing bit of imagery and you're right it is um very witty very funny um i was reading a passage earlier about angie's experiences in rats um things called rats kettle and uh, her kind of vaguely upsetting experiences as she goes through that sort of slum area and it's very very funny at the same time as being quite dynamic so the writing does sort of sing on the page and i think the overall tone is really really nice as well because although it's kind of light light and witty for the most part there is a real kind of poignant undercurrent that runs through the whole piece um there's a sort of underlying sadness to a lot of the stories in the book and an underlying sort of tragedy that all of the the sort of witty tone can't entirely obscure. Yeah. Later on, we'll be getting at, because we've been, this series, as you'll have heard from listening to all our previous episodes over the past seven days, having heard them all, of course, because we're doing this episode live, <clears throat> and not at all on the 12th of October. We've been doing uh, a quick look back to see what they said in I Who. But of course, this was a book that you reviewed. I'm not going to quote the whole thing. I'll just give you your last sentence here from it. Okay. And you said, Ebbs has, however, succeeded in creating a book crackling with energy and enthusiasm. And these are enough to make it, if not a memorable read, then at least an immensely likable one. How does that strike you now, looking back or hearing that back? Um... I probably think that's fair. I think may, may, maybe, I think age makes you a lot more, or it's made me a lot, a lot more moderate in most of my opinions. But so I, I, I think probably I would agree. I don't think it, I, I wouldn't necessarily pick it out as a top tier eighth Doctor adventure, but neither would I sort of say oh it, it, it's utter trash avoid it i definitely think it's a good enjoyable read rereading it for this podcast I, I was struck by just how nicely written it is and how entertaining it is to read so i i, I definitely stand by the fact that it might not necessarily be the most memorable of the eighth doctor adventures i, I don't think it necessarily introduces anything that later Eighth Doctor writers picked up on or did a huge amount with, but equally, it is really fun to read. And if you can get your hands on a copy, it's definitely worth worth seeking out. 
hundred percent agree. I think it's it's a good fun read because if it's one that if you're in if you're in a, a mood for an entertaining read that's going to entertain you, and you're not looking for serious alien invasion, and but I mean as you mentioned earlier, yes, there are the the dark undertones for what's going on with Fitz, but it's on the whole is is an entertaining read. Some great characterization. The Doctor and Angie particularly come out of this really well, and. Yeah. It's just, I think Paul did a great job. And it's a real shame that this was his only EDA. I agree. I think, like, a, I mean, if, if if we only had, if we only had Christmas on a rational planet, or we only had the left-handed hummingbird, you wouldn't necessarily um, pick Kate Orman or Lawrence Miles as, like, the, the greatest writers. And both of those books, I think, are very good, but... The authors went on to develop their style and do even better things as as time went on. And I think had the range continued and had Paul written more novels, I think he would have been a really he would have been a name to look out for when you saw when you saw it appear on the list. So yeah, I think it is a real shame he didn't do more. Yeah. So having mentioned Paul, should we hear from him now? I'd love to. Yes, I am Paul Ebbs and I am the uh person mostly responsible for the book of the steel because it, it started out as a as a co-write with a guy called richard jones but I, I i ended up writing the whole thing when he disappeared oh okay we'll come back to that hopefully not into the ether but uh no, no, not into the ether. I, th- I, th- I think to wales which is the same thing <laughs> well we've seen the five doctors we know what happens yeah, when you go there uh, yeah. So, yeah yes so let's have a rewind back to 1996 what do you remember about the first time you saw the TV movie? Well, see, I, I, I was, I, I've always been a, a sad fan completist. So the the, v, the VHS came out before it was on TV, if you remember. So I actually, on that day, I went down to, I lived, I lived in Basildon at the time, and I went down to the, the shops there and I bought the VHS on the day that it came out so that I could go back home and watch it before it was on telly so i was i was i was i was that sad right that's how sad i am and i loved it i i really like it i i one of the things that i'm i quite like doing is defending it because i think i think it's a really good a really good thing i i don't mind the things that people moan about i don't mind the half human thing i don't mind the eye of harmony i don't mind this and that the kiss or any of that i really liked it i thought it was a really good modern take on doctor who and i i enjoyed it immensely and i really liked the character of the eighth doctor that was you know the the, the shoes thing and the and the hair and the wild bill hickok and all of that i i you know the the byronic thing i loved that although sylvester mccoy is my favorite doctor and i will you know i will i will defend him to the death i thought mcgann was brilliant and it's such a shame that it didn't become a tv series but i think he's done brilliant work for big finish as well so yeah i think he's 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 a very good doctor Definitely is. I agree. I was at a midnight opening to get my copy. I've mentioned it a few ah. times in the podcast previously. I was at the one in Edinburgh where Paul so Myers was as, also You're just as sad as me then. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I'm quite proud of it. And oh, I, okay. I, I have never denied it for one single second. So um, maybe... Um, I, I was there. Oh, good. It's, it's good to know. It's always nice to meet these fellow midnight type people who were there for the first minute, which was great. 
just a lovely atmosphere and everybody all excited and all the fans there. So mm. I think I watched it probably about four or five times by the time it came on the TV. I think I was the same. So okay, yeah. I might have been only three times. So okay, I'll let you have this one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's have a wee chat about the book of the still and. Okay. How did the commission for this one come about? Because you're somebody whose name that I recognised through fandom. I'd been dabbling with not so much fan fiction, but uh, I'd been doing a fan all, my own fan audio series with my own doctor through a, a thing we called Season Twenty Seven Productions, and I did. We'd done three of those, and that had got me that had got me a gig with BBV with Bill Bags stuff so I was I was I was on the periphery but I was also wanting to break into I really wanted to write scripts that's what I really wanted to do and I uh, uh, the site within two weeks of uh, me uh, getting the commission to write this book which I'll tell you about in just a second I also broke into TV with doctors so I, I it was obviously a very good time my my chi was probably in in being really in you know conjunction with my biorhythms or or whatever um so basically at the colchester doctor who fan group um that i i used to attend and go to because you know i, I like doing things like that there was a guy there called richard jones and we got talking one time and we thought well you know um let's this would be a good idea to do a story so we we kicked it around we came up with a uh, an outline which we then sent to the bbc and and a, a you know sample i did a the epilogue and he did a sample chapter which didn't end up in the book because like I said he disappeared not in in an acrimonious way I think he had some personal issues and and, and not for you a lovely guy Um, and I've not not heard from him since but it's um, it's sad because he he was really he he had some really great ideas but we sent that in and um, I got the letter to say you know we'd like to we'd like to do this i heard subsequently that the person who read it and recommended it was gary russell but i don't know how how true that is so uh, maybe it was i have not confirmed that with him but yeah i, I so it was a it was a we kicked it around we kicked it we said this wouldn't this be a good idea Let's see if we can get it published sent in because i had a i don't know if it was an open submission thing i can't remember if it was an open submission thing or whether they were sending out they were still they were still sending out guidelines to people if you if you wrote in and got like i'm sure i've got the guidelines somewhere on a scrapbook upstairs somewhere but yeah we thought it'd be good it was a sunday afternoon in colchester we kicked it around we turned it into a thing and it became a thing it became a book and it became my first my first book so maybe tell us a wee bit about what it was that you submitted in the initial storyline in terms of your report the actual story that you you put through was compared to what um, got it was it was pretty much the, the story that it ended up as with they were it was um we did quite a detailed outline i don't think I've, i don't think i've got the outline anymore I may be able to dig it out, but it was a pretty detailed. I mean, I did the epilogue, and the first, the epilogue was a lot longer, and that got cut back a bit. So, but it's it's pretty much the epilogue that you see. It starts out with those words. Uh, the epilogue st- is is the beginning. It's it's a thing about time travel. So we put the epilogue at the beginning. It's, yeah. you know, how fake could we be? So uh, there's that. Then there was a the there was a 
couple of sample chapters, one which Richard did, one which I did. So, and, and then, then a full out, a chapter by chapter outline for the rest of it. And I remember I was so green and wet behind the ears at the time that I did the, um, I did the outline the like the chapters in the same font as they were printed in the books because that was you know because you just no i wouldn't do that now but i was i was so green and wet behind the ears then i thought that would be cool oh then it will look more like a book if i do that and sent that in and it was the first it was the first thing i sent in and it got it got commissioned that's not a bad strike rate, one for one. I'm, I, I yeah, do not, like att- not bad, one for one, yeah. I like your attention to detail. It also shows that you had read the book, so you were familiar oh, with, yeah. with it. So, that, yeah, again, yeah. it creates a good first impression. Yeah, or makes you look like an amateur. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> that is quite an, that's quite an amateur mistake to make, I think, now. As a professional writer now, I would never do anything like that. <laughs> Never, I'm just. Ever, I'm, ever. I'm going for the positive, but uh, yeah, there yeah, we yeah. go. But I'd say I thought this was such a brilliant idea. The fact you've got the book of the still, where mm. time travellers write their names down when they're stuck, mm. and then somebody will come to rescue them. And where did that come from? It is such a fantastic. Um, I think that's probably more Richard's idea, but the one the one that I I really ran with. But it was it was definitely it was that we wanted to do a story about time travel. We wanted to do something that was not like anything else that had ever been done um in terms of that. And you know, we were probably kicking around the idea, well what if what what, what would you do if you were stranded in time? How would you get picked up if you were stranded in time? So it was it was yeah, it's it's quite um I think it's a good idea. I think it's a very good idea. So it's um, yeah, that's probably more more from Richard. If I if I was being perfectly honest, that bit of it. But from what I remember, from what I remember, I think I you know I I worked with it and worked it up. And I think I, I and the other thing that I definitely wanted to do was set a Doctor Who story on the surface of a star. I wanted to, I wanted I wanted to do that. Because I thought, you know, nobody else has ever done that. Nobody else has ever attempted that, and I think it's such a cracking idea. I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of of science fiction, big dumb objects, and and you know, like ring worlds and Dyson spheres and shit like that. I love those. Sorry, am I allowed to say shit? I don't know. I don't. Know. Uh, so you know, the idea of having a you know a whole section of the book set on the surface of a of a star in the photosphere of a, of a star was something that really appealed to me. So I really wanted to get that into the book. So that was uh, something that, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah. Uh, it, we, wanted, we wanted to look at the mechanics of time travel and the realities of time travel. Cause it's not all, as, as I say in the epilogue, it's not all, you know, chandeliers and, and big parties and shit, even though we do have lots of big parties and chandeliers in the book. I just think it's such a wonderful idea and the fact that here you go, you've written your name down and then of course there's the unnoticed keeping an eye yes. on things and uh, and that's where the trouble begins, particularly if you're somebody who maybe shouldn't have signed your name in there. Yeah, well you shouldn't have signed your name, but they're, they're desperate not to be found. They're absolutely desperate not to be found. So this book, if anything in the book leads to their you know being discovered, then you know they, they will they will intercede and they do and they do so they are they are the bad guys but as i think what we did or what i did again because i this is this is more my stuff was try to give them a a circular 
what's the word I'm looking for? The word I'm looking for is origin. So they've they, they've become out of the bad guy, the other bad guys in the you know. The, so the unnoticed and the other bad guys are the same thing, but at different points in their evolution. Which is again fitting in with the nice time away nature of it. Of course, um, yes. The way that um, the BBC books had gone, Gallifrey's gone, Time Lords mm. are gone. So it's pretty yep. much it's like a, a wild west with time travel, and this also yes. just fitted in perfectly with that. Yeah. I don't think we knew that was coming because obviously it was a while, you know, we wrote it or I wrote it back in two, uh, when did it come out? 2002 it came out, didn't it? Yeah, so it was in 2001. It, yeah. So 2001, 2002, I was writing it. And yeah, I, 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 I can't remember if we were given, if that was it, if that came from Justin to make sure that we didn't, you know, do anything that would contradict that or whether it was in the guidelines. I can't remember. Yeah, honestly, it's, it's too long ago to remember now. What do you recall of writing for this Doctor? Obviously post-amnesiac after the burning, but still pretty much still the core of the TV movie Doctor. Yeah, hadn't, hadn't read the burning, obviously, at that point. I'd had no real contact with the other authors except Lance Parkin, who, not, I don't think, I, I, I have to be careful here, so I don't think he did this to be nasty or anything, but he'd read the beginning of, of what we'd done, the, you know, or what I'd done with the obligatory spectacular opening, and he put one into Trading Futures, which ended up as the book before. And, 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 he, he did, <laughs> and I, 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 I'm sure it, it, it was it was just for fun i'm sure it was just for fun but we I, you know i thought it was so you know I, I was so smart and i was so clever and i was so brilliant because i've called it obligatory spectacular opening um and then he stuck he stuck one in trading futures but yes what do i recall about writing it it was a difficult time because towards the end of writing it my mother got ill and so i think i delivered it about three or four weeks late but in the end, that was okay. But the thing I remember most about it is that I'd obviously, and this is, this is, you know, having worked in TV since then and worked in other areas, it was the best response I ever got from an editor, pretty much. Because for a 96,000 word novel, the edits that came back to me from Justin were 33 line changes nothing to the plot nothing to the character nothing at all there were 33 line changes that i had that he asked me to make and they were all pretty untechnical they were undemanding it took me about um, two hours to do we had a little bit of back and forth about the epilogue again at the beginning because the the first uh, line is, you know, epilogue at the beginning, you know, um, uh, that's a style over content gross out. And the next line is, but this is a story about time travel. Shit like that happens all the time. And he didn't want the word shit on the first page. And I remember his email saying to me, it's, it's all right for later in the book uh, if you have that word. But basically, if Johnny's picking this up in WH Smith's and his mum's looking over his shoulder and she sees shit on the first page 
and he's he's flipped to the first page she might not let him buy it so i scrambled around for another word i spoke to a friend of mine in america and she suggested the word dreck so shit got changed to dreck so i remember that vividly but i also remember that, that you know having written a lot of books since then and had to deal with various other editors 33 line changes is nothing it really you know, honestly it took me two hours so I'd, I'd obviously done a reasonable job that's pretty darn good i would say that's i don't think i've heard yeah. anybody with that few yet and spoken to an awful lot of these authors so <laughs> i'm sure yeah 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 no it was it was it was okay it was it was a you know and they were very good about me delivering late as well i think like i said i think it was about four weeks four weeks late because my i had a deal with my mum she was very ill at the time that's the thing that so many people have said is that Justin is such a good editor to work for. Yeah, he was very hands off. Very other than other than insisting on the word shit coming off the first page, which in the end, you know, I, I said, you know, these people are paying me, so I'll, I'll do that. I'm, you know, I, I want to be a professional writer. So, um, and that was this was my first book. So that was a very smooth process. So what about Fitz and Angie? How did you find getting to grips with them? I thought I did okay. I mean, Fitz, I, I just put him in a big white shirt and had lots. he had lots of fantasy stuff. It's probably, I, I probably, the, the whole idea of him falling in love was one of the things that people used to complain about. So I, so I thought that making him fall in love, but it not be his fault you know that he was forced to fall in love with somebody was was kind of a, a different idea and you know I, I liked all the fantasy bits of him you know in a big white shirt at the vampire embassy angie i absolutely loved and i really enjoyed writing her uh, and i really enjoyed you know things like uh, you know putting her in a uh, when, when they land on Nebenspell, her uh, in a don't ask me i'm new here myself t-shirt I really liked her humour. I really liked that she was different, that she was clever, she was smart, that she um, was a good foil for the Doctor and a good foil for Fitz. One of the things that I got accused of many years later, I saw a review online where somebody really laid into the book for cultural appropriation, for the Bollywood sequence. There's, you know, there's a whole sequence of, of, of setting a Bollywood fantasy as part of what's going on in the book. And they really laid into me for cultural appropriation. And I, I couldn't help, I didn't, I didn't um, respond or anything other than to say, well, thanks for that. Because, you know, she's of Indian Asian extraction. It's her culture, it's her heritage. But I, I didn't understand, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why I, you know, this person you know, maybe over, over sensitive to this. I don't think they were Indian, judging by the blog, but it was uh, disappointing to think that somebody may have thought that because I thought I captured both sides of Angie quite well. I mean, I, I, I really rate her as a character. I, I really liked her. So yeah, so I found writing for them interesting, liked it. You know, as, as I said in one interview I did, uh, I think for Lars, Lars Pearson, uh, I said it's a, it's a big it's a big book about drugs. And that's basically what it is. It's it's all about drugs. Not that I'm a you know drughead or anything like that. Um, <laughs> I've never really taken anything terrible, 
but it's it's a book about the how drugs affect us and change us and to motivate us and do things to us and why people take drugs but that never seems to come out in the in the reviews of it I, maybe i was too subtle or maybe it's you know maybe i just think it's that and it's not that but yeah it's a uh, it's a big uh, i said to last it's a big fuck off book about drugs but you know uh but you, you can enjoy it without that as well yeah and you can enjoy the book without taking drugs as well so yes yes even better yes. <laughs> or the, or, or, absolutely don't do it kids don't do it just saying what, was the message yeah <laughs> just say no yeah, I mean, I've to, I really enjoyed um, Carmody. I love the the notion of somebody being addicted to the energies of a time traveller. Yeah. Which that was a lovely idea. And you think that's something that would happen. You know, people would build up these like, time travel energies. And yep. of course, there'd be somebody who'd be after that. Uh, I think, again, that's again that's back to the drugs. Yeah. The drugs idea. She is she is addicted to the, the, the particle, the time traveling particles inside time travelers and that's why she you know that's why she loves she or not loves is addicted to fits yeah and steals him because of that he's 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 full of those he's full of those those things yeah i like the idea of i mean you know love is a form of addiction um so there's there's that thematic level in it as well yeah it's everybody you know nearly everybody in the book is addicted to something yeah and then, of course, you've got the doctor chasing after everyone, trying to keep everyone alive. Yeah, he doesn't. Uh, yeah, I said that. That's 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 the thing. I remember people pointing out to me that the, the the I can't remember if I wrote the blurb to the book or not. Maybe I did, but lots of people have complained to me over the years to say, "But the blurb gives away the story." It it does a bit, and maybe it did, and that's probably my fault. But nobody, you know, when I, if if I did write the blurb, I honestly can't remember. Nobody said, "Well, that's a bit bit too much." So you know, but yes, yes, comedy is is great fun. I do like her, and it's it's nice to write somebody who's that flawed, but still come out liking her. I think she's difficult to love. I mean, there's some, there's some very funny stuff in there as well, which I think quite a lot of people forget. That when you think of Eighth Doctor books, they tend to think they can be quite grim at times, but yeah. there's an awful lot of very, very subtle stuff in here that's quite a lot of black comedy. Particularly. There's, there's quite a lot of comedy. I mean, yeah, I, 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 you know, comedy is is something I try to put into everything. So I try to put a little bit of comedy into most things, yeah. What did you think of the cover when you were sent it through? Do you know what? It's lovely. It's a, it is a lovely cover. It is a very, very, very nice cover. I can't, you know, Black Sheep did a did a wonderful job. It's a nice. It's a nice painting. I just wished it had been, you know, more people on it. That's the that's the only thing. But it's it's a, it is a gorgeous cover. It's that, it's gorgeously painted, isn't it? Yeah. Is that how you envisaged the book looking? Uh, no, it was more of a. I think it's described in the in the book. I can't. I can't remember exactly how I described it, but I think it's more like a hotel signing in book. So, so it'd be more like landscape and portrait. But I'm not going to complain. I can't paint, so you know, <laughs> I'm not going to. It's 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 a nice illustration. It does capture it. It gets the feeling across as to what it is. The fact that it looks like an old book and it gives you that uh, gives you that time travel feeling just with the pattern in the front as I look at it just yeah. now. So, yeah. So how do you look back on it, Paul? You've written a lot over the years. Where does this one I fit have, in? 
Uh, well, it's the first one, so it's always it's all, you know. She, it, it was my it, you know to break into TV. This you know like within two or three weeks of getting the commission on the on the book, it was. Yeah, it's my. You know, those are my first two. Well, I'd had semi-pro commissions before that with BBV, um, and I ended up being their um, script editor for a while. But these were my first pro commissions, television and and the BBC books. So I look back on it. It, it, it gave me. It, it kickstarted me be able to give up the day job and be a. You know, and I've been a full-time writer since. Um, I haven't had to have a day job for a, you know a very good while. So I've done okay. So I look, I look, I look back on it with great fondness. Some of the actual pros, if you know, if I was, if I'd go back and say, well, I wouldn't write it like that now. You know, there was there are far too many adverbs, which I would cut now. But yeah, I, it's, it's it's all right. The, the the things that people seem to worry about with it, in terms of the construction of it. Is they didn't occur to me at the time. Like some people are critical of the fact that there's a big reset button at the end, you know, when everything gets fixed. And I just thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if everybody didn't die? You know, that's, everybody that's, lives. That's a nice thing. Yeah, everyone lives. And that was, you know, way before that happened. Um, and uh, and of course there was dancing in that as well. So uh, I don't I don't know if I don't know if Moffat uh, uh, read it, but um, don't get me wrong, I, I bloody love Moffat's writing absolutely. So when he we, you know, when there was dancing and everybody lives, I thought, hang on, I've, I I know this, I know this. I'm surprised. I, I love the fact that that people do love it, and some people really do love it. I'm surprised with some of the criticism because they didn't occur to me at the time like they didn't like the reset button and I, th I thought well is 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 that a bad thing I, I don't know I don't know if that's a bad thing um, nah I don't think so and of course I, I don't know I mean it was, it was congruent with the, the time travel story you know you can go back you know and and of course it mirrored the reset button at the end of the TV movie itself where everybody comes back to life so it kind of it was kind of echoing that in a way. I wanted to have a, you know a, a nice enough ending. The other thing that people complain about that that again I don't want to sound like I'm you know obsessed with what people complained about. They didn't like that some of the characters didn't have names, like the mayor. He was just called the mayor, and and I, and I really didn't go into. I didn't give much background to what happened at the end. Just somebody else turned up in, you know, in something they were time travelling in. What what's the name's dad turned up, and off they went again, you know, in their own whatever they were using. To, and, I, and I deliberately didn't flesh that out because I didn't want I didn't I didn't want to flesh that out. I wanted it to. There's a wonderful review of a Larry Niven book which I can't remember, can't remember the title of, might have been The Magic Goes Away, where uh, somebody says, it goes off into the magic distance. The, the, the story just goes off into the magic distance. And I wanted that. I wanted the end of the Book of the Steel to go off into the magic distance. And that's that's why the ending is is how the ending happens. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Paul, thank you so much for sharing your memories of the Book of that's the Steel. Right. It's been a delight. Thank you. 
And thank you to Paul Epps for his time, uh, getting to hear his interview maybe a couple of years early, but I'm sure he'll be delighted by that. But great chat and thank you to him. Now, Matt, we're now going to hear what... This is from iWho3, the unauthorised guide to Doctor Who novels and audios. And this is volume three saying, at the end of the day, solid, funny and meaningful. The Book of the Still's reputation sometimes suffers because it works hard to avoid having an outright villain. Pretty much everyone involved deserves some sympathy. And admittedly, there's a point midway through when Ebb shifts gears that you're tempted to start snoozing. All of that said, the book's astoundingly chock full of ideas. The Doctor's son diving in a paper cube alone deserves praise. And although it makes us laugh, the book of the stills touching bits, Rianne teaching the Doctor to dance while they wait for death, stuck in our brains even more. As such, it becomes like a performer who swaps white and black dinner suits between sketches, sweating bullets to keep us entertained. Recommended. Absolutely, I think that's it's a fair review. But it's one that I remember fondly, and the fact that the whole central concept yeah. of it sticks in the mind, and the book title itself is sort of gives you a hint yeah. as to what's going on. I love it. Yeah, I agree. And the book itself, you look at the cover. This is, this is great for a podcast um, on audio. But but I'm going to re- refer to the cover, and I look at it and I see both the Diary of River Song, because it's a sort of blue, battered-looking book stuffed with like pages and things like that but it's also got a almost like you know the sort of funny time lord writing that they have in the new series where it's all sort of circular symbols and it's not not a million miles away from from that and i'm sure that it wasn't an inspiration for either of those things but it's funny how how those ideas kind of echo through in completely different contexts yeah absolutely agreed so there we go Matt it's from Real Joy thank you for coming on the Power of Three today and in a slight change of format from what you're normally used to but you've coped magnificently in fact I would say you've done so well would you like to come back tomorrow oh have I passed the audition you have with flying colours I will come back tomorrow then thank you fantastic but Matt as you know as a devoted listener to this podcast there's a question we always ask at the end of every episode and I'm going to ask this question of you today. So Matt, we featured the Eighth Doctor and I think we should play it with a song that would kind of relate to that. So anything you'd prefer to choose? I think it would have to be Hello Space Boy. It is from David Bowie. (laughs) But it's the Pet Shop Boys remix. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Kenny. Bye bye. Bye. Space for your sleep.